Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. All right, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. And I hope you have had a lovely Shabbat. Let's get on to the boils. (laughs) And, And I'm trying not to sound, you know, too upbeat about boils. But I think there's some good information here on the plague of boils because it's going to give us the foundational prophecy of the burning, the repeated allusions to burning in the book of Revelation, right? So again, the sixth plague uh, in the Exodus from Egypt was boils. When we looked over at the siege tactics in the Wars of Kings, we saw that the burning of a city corresponded to the plague of boils. And in the process of besieging a city, that's what we noted too. If if we look back at the, the plague of lice and gnats, which was related to the, the ranged light weapons like arrows, remember these folks, they're not just right up on your wall. Um, they're standing off at a distance. They're launching the arrows up. Again, it's a light weaponry, but and it'll, it'll seem to kind of have a random, like who does it hit? It's kind of random because they're not really aiming. They're just throwing everything up there and hoping it falls on a certain number of people. Could there be overlap? How are you going to start a city burning? Well, you can use starter fluid, depending on which generation you're born into. Of course, there's different things that you can use to to set a place on fire. The flaming arrows. That's why I say there might be overlap with some of these plagues. That which was supposed to basically just get under your skin unexpectedly. It could pierce you unexpectedly, maybe randomly. With the burning, let's say that you send the burning arrows, then the point then is not really so much to get under somebody's skin in a random way, but to start to set fire to their foundations. It gets on the inside. The army may not have penetrated the city yet, but in this way, they can really get up close and personal with you because now you're trying to put out fires, little fires everywhere if they're using the the missile fire. And in modern times, this is done. Often you will see the Air Force go in and soften up the resistance. And they do that by dropping bombs. Bombs set things on fire. And again, that that creates its own level of anxiety because you're not facing an enemy you can see. I mean, his face is not right in front of you. Instead, the, the fire is just falling out of the sky. And so here's Revelation 18.2. Before we go back and look at the Torah of boils so that we can see perhaps what's happening here with the burning, let's look at Revelation 18.2 through 8, and we'll condense it a little bit. It says, he cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And for those of you who aren't familiar with prophetic terminology, fallen, fallen can signal two separate periods, two separate historical periods. We know that Babylon fell in the past. Babylon was the first beast kingdom. And so Babylon fell to the Medo-Persians. So she fell, fallen, but she will fall again, fallen. So if you want to learn about Babylon during the times of the footsteps of Messiah falling, 
then you go back and you study scripture based on when Babylon fell before. So Fallen Fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Now that can be a confusing sentence. Sometimes in scripture, they will use something we call equivalency of expression. Equivalency of expression. In other words, he'll use more than one example to help you get your mind around it. Like the Torah is a lamp, the commandment is a light. Well, lamps and lights, kind of the same thing, but not exactly. We would say that they have an equivalency of an ex- of expression so that you can understand that the Torah is equivalent to a commandment because the commandments are contained in the Torah. The same way that a lamp is just a smaller piece of light. Light, you can't contain it. It's everywhere. Who can wrap up light, right? But how can I have some light that would be useful? I can light a lamp. And in that sense, I've got a smaller piece of the light. So that's the way that a commandment is to the Torah. It's a smaller piece of that light. So it's an equivalent expression. I believe this sentence right here might be used in that way, referring to the city of Babylon. Now, remember, Babylon is not just a commercial system. It's not just an economic system. Because we've learned about the progression of the systems within the beast, all the way from the golden head of Babylon to the the silver Medo-Persians and the upper torso, to the bronze Greeks, down to the iron conglomeration of Rome. Each one of those has used systems, organizations, in order to extend influence and to incorporate people in. Now, the all-time champions of that were the Greeks, their organizations, and that's why the Greeks are represented by the leopard. It's the spots. If you go back into the Hebrew, you realize the spots represent these organizations. And so the Romans simply took those organizations that the Greeks had already spent centuries perfecting, and the Romans took it and just spread it all over the world. And so it's the systems haven't changed. We still are controlled by systems of economics, politics, gymnasiums, coliseums in the in the sports realm, uh, medicine, education, literature, all of those things. They are part of these organizations. So they weren't at their peak of power during the beast kingdom of Babylon doesn't mean they weren't used. And it doesn't mean that there wasn't something handed down to the Medo-Persians in terms of those systems. And then something was handed down to the Greeks in terms of those systems. And then something for sure was handed down to the Romans from those systems. By that point, they've come into such sharp focus that we spend a lot of time in public schools at least I would say private ones too, as we read about civilization, we read a lot about those systems because they show how they were key, just like a military system, working with an economic system, working with a political system, how they, they spread the influence of the beast all over the world. So the infection that's in the world today in terms of being a place of demons a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird through those beast systems 
those realities have spread all over the world. So we don't have to look at a geographical location. Say, well, where is this Babylon? Is it? (laughs) I've heard all sorts of weird ideas about what Babylon is, but they have to kind of toss out the biblical development of Babylon, the beast kingdoms, and, and the way that even Daniel understood them. But the thing to remember about Babylon here is that in this equivalency of, of expression, a dwelling place, a prison, a prison, as you look at it, a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. So that's not random language. It's language we can go back and we can look at the wars of the kings and the siege tactics of the kings. And at least two of those siege tactics are going to appear by imprisoning people. Remember, there's the taking of captives that we read about last week. And then as we get into plague number nine, that will be another type of prison. It'll be the the prison of darkness where you can't escape it. So dwelling place, prison, prison. It's, It's this place where you're cooped up. It's this place where you have to live. And there are limitations in that place. And the people of Adonai are being warned don't identify with that as a dwelling place. Because remember what we said the the tactics of the beast systems were, especially as you go back and you look at Greece and Rome, they really perfected this. As they introduced something to you, they would entice you. They would appeal to things you like and enjoy, like say a gymnasium. And then as you got into the gymnasium and started taking part in their sports and so forth, you would also find that there was unspeakable unspeakable debauchery that would go on in those gymnasiums. I mean, the, the whole thing was you were in there without clothes on, if that tells you anything. So first they would entice you. And if you would go on in just because, ooh, that looks like fun, um, you know, <laughs> uh, recreation, not a bad thing in and of itself, right? But if if you won't come in through enticement, then they will next coerce you. They will coerce you. That means they will begin to pin you in. They will begin to hem you in in certain places. Well, if you want this, then you need to do that. If you want to be entitled to this, then you need to do that. And this is where the imprisonment starts. And you can see how it's moved from a dwelling place to a prison. And then, of course, the third one there is also a prison. And this would be the the ultimate imprisonment. Because, again, if you won't be enticed, and you won't be coerced, then their third step is they would kill you as an example to those who were still in the process of being enticed or coerced. And so at that point, there's no no wiggle room because you resist it. But it may actually be if, if what is being forced upon you is a compromise of the word, some element of idolatry, some severe sin that you know you shouldn't take part in, it, it might be better. And that's what we see like in the time of the Maccabees, there were certain people that just says, do what you got to do to me, but I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm not going to blaspheme the one I serve. And so this progression right here in Revelation, a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit, and then a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. So demons, it starts out with demons, then unclean spirit. And Yeshua taught on this. He actually taught about like when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he'll go out through the dry places. And then when he comes back, he'll bring um, something seven times more unclean. You see that little pattern right here. 
demons, which there's no such thing as good and bad demons, I guess, <laughs> just levels of them. They have their little realms. And the thing about a, a demon, I mean, it's a created being, number one. The demons didn't create themselves. And apparently they were created for a specific purpose. The problem with a demon or something that we would recognize as a demon, there's all sorts of principalities and powers out there that are put where they are put for a reason. They're serving the most high. But what happens is when one of these beings leaves its realm, when it leaves its realm, that's when it goes into a place of uncleanness. Just like we are not supposed to play with magic. We're not supposed to talk to sorcerers. We're not supposed to dress up like witches. We're not supposed to dress little kids up like ghosts. We are to have nothing to do with the realm of the dead. And you say, what's the realm of the dead? It's not yours if you're listening to this. You're still alive. Those who have already crossed over, they're in a different realm. They can't come back here. That's not the realm that they're assigned to for this moment. Now, could they in a in a certain capacity for a certain divine reason, like Yeshua standing there talking with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? Did they really come back to our realm is my question, or were the disciples simply allowed to see into that realm? And so it it's one of those things where we're talking about realms that are very difficult for human beings beings to grasp because we don't really see beyond our own. I don't think we even see what's in our realm a lot of the time. But once you cross into another realm, that's when you you incur a state of ritual impurity. That's when you you can't get close to the presence of Adonai for sure. And we shouldn't be allowing those things close to us because like it says here, you know, it's a dwelling place of demons. That's kind of fun. You know, a dwelling place isn't bad. And so often we'll dance around on the edges of things that we know we really shouldn't have something to do with. And, you know, these these unclean things, they can operate anywhere where there's an anti-Torah message. It could be in music. It could be in movies. There's certain movies you shouldn't be watching. You know, I can't tell you which ones. I can't give you a list. You're going to have to discern that, you know, with the power of the Holy Spirit. I've, I've turned things off before. No, Mm-mm. no, because I felt like I would be opening a door if I just use that for entertainment. And so maybe there's things we've watched in the past. We need to repent of that. Say, I'm sorry, I watched that. I, something told me to turn that off and I didn't. But a dwelling place is a comfortable place. That's why I say that level is enticement. But the second level is coercion. Now it truly limits your movement because now there's a consequence. You're in. And there's a consequence, there's a there's going to be a painful process to try to get out of that because that, that tide is trying to sweep you along. Like Yeshua said, he'll come back with seven things more unclean than himself. So this is the, the prison of the unclean spirits. And then third, it says, it's the prison of every unclean and hateful bird. This is an extreme level, a very extreme level. And I, I put an asterisk beside hateful bird, because I do want to take us to the context of what it means here. Is like, is it talking about thus quote the raven nevermore by Edgar Allan Poe? Or, you know, what is it talking about? We'll look at the context. I think that'll help us understand this particular progression. If we look at what this hateful bird is, as it appears, I believe, three times in the book of Revelation, it's going to give it a different context maybe than we've ever seen it before. 
And again, it's going to take us back to the, the Torah and the prophets. For it says, all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. So remember, the beast operates on sensuality. That's what it appeals to. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Come out of what? Again, acts of immorality, the passion of immorality, and sensuality. In other words, what is the beast? Who? Some people say, who's the beast? Look in the mirror. Just look in the mirror. When we pair that down, and again, if, if you've done workbook four, the scarlet harlot and the crimson thread, you know what I'm talking about. The soul is the nefesh in Hebrew. It's appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect. And it's planted into a body. Then the spirit goes into the body. The spirit came from Elohim, the one who created us. And apart from that spirit, really, we're nothing more than another animal because they have a nefesh. They're, they're living souls, but they live in a different way than we do. They're a breathing soul, but they don't have the spirit of Adonai in them in the same way that we do. So they are ruled by appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect. And they should be. They're living creatures. It keeps them alive. That is their realm. That is after their kind. Beasts conform to the image of beasts. Human beings are to conform to the image of Elohim who created them. We are not to conform to the image of the beast. How are we different? We are not at the mercy of appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect, what they're calling here sensuality and passion. Instead, the spirit within us, which came from Elohim, functions based on it is written. The spirit doesn't care what you think. The spirit doesn't care what you feel. And the spirit does not care what you want. It cares about truth. And the truth of who you are as a creature is that you are to conform to the image of Elohim, not to the image of the beast. So for a people who defy their creator, who refuse to allow the discipline of the Holy Spirit to purify that animal soul, and so that that animal soul will obey the spirit, and it will begin to think, feel, and want the things of the spirit, instead they allow what they think, feel, and want to dominate the spirit. They do it just the reverse. The, they don't allow the spirit to dominate the soul, but the animal dominates the spirit. And you will die. That's why your soul needs salvation. You will die. You need Yeshua. You need the word. You need the living word to resurrect you. And that's what our walk with Yeshua is. It's a matter of letting him resurrect this animal's soul. Because conforming to the image of the beast, not our realm. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not what we were created to do. We're out of bounds when we act like animals. We're out of bounds when we allow sensuality to rule our lives. And so we are told to, to come out of that. It's telling us that you know the people of Adonai, they're spread into every nation, tribe, and tongue. Right there, it says the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth, the whole earth has come up under this category of becoming a dwelling place and prison. For unclean things, but he's telling his people, come out, come out, get out of there. If that is your mindset, get out. Because those who live with that degree of sensuality, they are about to be not just imprisoned, 
Here's what it says in verse 8. For this reason, and one day, her plagues will come. Pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. She will be burned with fire. But not only that, in one day, pestilence will fall, mourning because of the pestilence, and famine. And not only that, she will be burned up with fire. So you see in a a typical siege, that's why I say don't get caught up in, in trying to work out a chronology of what's going on in the book of Revelation. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. Just don't. Because you don't understand the, again, the realms that are being worked with and how time, which to, we learn in a process of time, but all scripture is not chronological. And so there might be certain things that are happening in the book of Revelation that are happening simultaneously. We read it as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but it could be that certain things are happening simultaneously, that there is overlap that there is cause and effect. Just because you read about the first Exodus in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and everything had its neat little box checked off, remember, if there's a greater Exodus, there will be greater confusion. And so as you look at this passage where it says, for this reason, and one day, her plagues will come. Pestilence, mourning, famine, she will be burned with fire. What's happening? It's it's like you unleash four stages of a siege in one day. The sickness, the mourning, which to me, that's going to tell you there's a high death toll due to the pestilence. There's going to be famine. There's not going to be enough to eat. And famine also in Hebrew, it means to be hungry. And it says she will be burned up with fire. And this is a matter of judgment. You say, I don't understand what that has to do with boils. (laughs) Well, we're going to try to figure out what it has to do with boils right here. But let's let's go back to these unclean and hateful birds and see if we can get a better handle on what it's saying right there. As we look at Revelation, these don't seem to be the same. You know, a bird's a bird's a bird is not a bird in Revelation. You can't say a bird's a bird's a bird in Revelation. In Revelation, these appear to be flesh-eating birds. What is a boil? It's something that consumes your flesh. It's something that inflames your flesh. And it's possible that these birds are like the the bugs out of Abaddon, the hell bugs, that they're not normal bugs, that they're supernatural because they defy description for one thing. Uh, But we know that they were used twice in Israel's history, Moses and time of Moses and time of Joshua. These birds may also be along that same line, except instead of coming up from below, they're coming from a higher place. And it may not even be a bird at all, right? Like we say, it may not be a bird like we think of. And so let's look at the three times it's used. There's Revelation 18.2. It says, he cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird, right? That's our, our text so far. And again, we have that equivalency of expression that gives us a hint. What is this hateful bird being compared to? It's being compared to demons and unclean spirits. That's why we say it may not be a a normal bird at all. 
demons and unclean spirits, things from another realm. This bird may be from another realm. Revelation 19, 17, it says, then I saw an angel, and this is important, standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds, same word, which fly in mid heaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God. All right, right there, we got a bunch more information. This is important. When I looked up mid heaven in the Greek, uh, the Greek pointed out that mid heaven was thought to be noon when the sun is mid heaven. I had always thought of it as a realm, like a realm of heaven, because we know there's at least seven heavens. We know Paul was caught up into the third heaven, which is paradise for the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden at this moment is concealed, but he got at least up to the third heaven. And I'd always associated this birds flying in mid heaven uh, with some realm up there. I think that's still true. I think these birds are in another realm that we don't see right now, but we have an additional clue here. The mid heaven um, also means noontime when the sun is at its highest peak, because once it ticks over one more time, it's going to start lengthening the shadows on the other side. Remember how people back then kind of could tell time? You needed a sundial, or you would look at a fixed object, and you could tell, you know, depending on the time of year about what time it was. So mid-heaven was thought to mean noon. So saying to all the birds, which fly in noon, Come, assemble for the great supper of God. These birds are being invited for supper. <laughs> right. And that's why I don't know that these are normal birds. These might be, again, when we say feed on something, often we, we use the only context we have, which is for us, we eat like what we call real food. We have bread and we have meat and we have panda puffs love panda puffs, but we have food that, you know, is tangible. I'm eating this food, but see, not all food is panda puffs and cheeseburgers. All right. That's, we think in a different way. Food on the altar, remember the, the food that was, the sacrifices offered on the altar, these were called the food of your God. This is the food of Elohim. You're saying, I don't, think he can eat that stuff because he's a spirit. You're right. He can't. He can't eat that stuff. He is a spirit. What is he, quote unquote, feeding on? He's feeding on the intention, the devotion, the heart action of the person who brought it. So what does our Elohim feed on? He feeds on our faithfulness. And so there's more than one way to look at how something is consumed, all right? We think of eating as in a very tangible way, but for something to be consumed, it's just, it's, it was there and now it's not. These birds, whatever they may be and wherever they may be, are being summoned at noontime and they're being assembled for a great supper of God, right? He's about to feed the birds and it's not even going to cost tuppence a bag, right? <laughs> Apparently, it's going to be a free feast, all right? Free buffet. 
but the angel standing in the sun, which makes total sense as to why the the scholars broke that mid-heaven word down in Greek saying it's noontime. And they, they say you have to look at the sun to know when this time of day is. And so it relates back to the blackening of the sun. Prophetically, this is going to go back to the blackening of the sun. So that's that's a great clue right there. And then our third mention is Revelation 19.21. And we see why the birds were summoned. It says, the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. All right. So again, are these literal birds? I mean, are these the, the vultures? that are out on the roads (laughs) looking for possums and things could be, I mean, that's the, the, the plain meaning of it, but the context that we have assembled here would suggest to us that perhaps these are supernatural birds and perhaps feeding on our flesh might be suggesting something else. What does a demon do? What does an unclean spirit do? Well, it doesn't have a body. And if it has certain desires, its only option is to enter in to a vessel of flesh and bone. I mean, into a demon, apparently even a pig is okay. If if Yeshua wouldn't let the demons stay in the demoniac, then they said, at least let us go into the pigs. And even the pigs knew it was better to die than to be consumed by demons, by unclean spirits. And so they ran and they drowned themselves in the water. What a demon does not understand, because it's it's not after our kind. We're the ones supposed to know better. They're not after our kind. They were created for a different purpose. They, they belong to another realm to do something else. And I don't even care what they're designed to do. Not my business. The less you deal with them, the better. However, if improperly, they want to cross out of their realm and come into ours in order to inhabit a body of flesh. This is what we would call being possessed by a demon, a demon having some sort of attachment to the person, and it takes over the the host. It takes over the body. And we know that once it's in there, bad things happen to the person. They end up consuming the person. They need this life in order to Express the sensuality that we just talked about over here. He says, come out of here because the problem with Babylon is the sensuality and the passion of immorality, right? So if a demon or unclean spirit wants to go into a human being, it's so that it can experience the sensuality of immorality. And what is it doing? Because it's not from our realm, it just, it thinks demon thoughts. It doesn't think human thoughts. And so whatever is happening up there is a very improper mixture of ideas. And you talk about confusion and anxiety from a hell book. When that starts happening, when you start opening the door to these unclean things, a confusion and anxiety will set in. And what the demon ends up doing is consuming the host. Like the demoniac, I mean, what would he do? He would just destroy himself. What did it do to the pigs? They destroyed themselves. So they want to be in our realm, but for them to be in our realm is they're going to kill the host and then they have to go find another one. 
And that's what they do. They're just, they're filled with our flesh, right? They're filled with the sensuality and they, as, as much as apparently they long to engage in the sensuality of having a human host body, what they're not really processing is the fact that they're in the body means it's going to die and probably much sooner than it would have otherwise. Because what did uh, the boy's father say to Yeshua? He often throws himself into the fire. And that's what happens. It's an improper mixture. You cannot, like the wild bees, which was an improper mixture, you cannot put those two things together. And, you know, and I don't want to go back and teach Leviticus 14, but if you'll just review the chapter of Leviticus 14, you can see that there is a purification ritual for a leper in Hebrew, it's called a metzorah. And you can hear the the tsar for tribulation, um, tsarat is the leprosy, the tzirah is the bug from hell, mitzrayim is Egypt, you can you still hear the tsar in there for tribulation. And so when a leper is cleansed, when he's delivered from the skin disease, which is thought to be, again, supernatural, it's not Hansen's disease, it's not an, a normal human disease, not that if you have a you know disease, you've done anything wrong, but you could have. It could still be a judgment. It doesn't have to be supernatural. Um, Sarat. But for the, the true Metzorah, the true leper, not a scientific, as we know it, disease, when this person is cleansed, remember, he has to bring two clean birds. And one of those is going to be slaughtered over fresh water, and one is going to be set free. So again, if you want to review Leviticus 14, you're, you're probably going to see some more things in there now that you understand these three verses and what kind of birds we're potentially talking about as them symbolizing a sort of uh, demonic, spiritually unclean infestation that will destroy you. It'll destroy you from the inside out. Um, and remember, these birds are going to be summoned at noon, at noon. And that's when it said, you know, the birds, they were flying in mid-heaven, they were flying at noon, and the angel was there kind of blocking the sun. He was up in the position of the sun. But we want to look at two sides of this meal at noon, the noon meal. There's two sides. It's a contronym. It's going to be a good side. There's going to be a bad side. Clearly, we just read the bad side because, you know, the birds are being summoned to eat the flesh. They're going to feast. They've been invited to a great supper. But there's a good side to this, too. Genesis 43, 16. Um, remember at this point, the, the brothers don't recognize Joseph yet, but they're about to. And we know that, that one of the understandings of Messiah in Jewish tradition is Mashiach ben Yosef, or Messiah, the son of Joseph. And it says, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house. And house can be a metaphor for the temple and slay an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. At noon. They're going to slay an animal, and the men are to dine at noon. Then if we drop down to verse 25, it says, so they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. Right? So there's one example, a, a great meal at noon with Joseph and a reconciliation 
we might save the 12 tribes of Israel. At this point, I, I believe our greater exodus, we would have already exited. And again, this goes back to what are the expectations once you cross over into the Garden of Eden? One of the expectations in Jewish tradition is one of the first things you do is you have a meal. You sit down and you have a meal uh, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And with all the implications of that. So we can see right here, as the 12 tribes are reconciled at noon with a meal, because an animal has been slain. And then as Song of Songs 1-7, it says, Tell me, O you who my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock? Where do you make it lie down at noon? And of course, we know that's addressed to King Messiah. Where does he pasture his flock? The flock of Israel. Where does he make it to lie down at noon? And so, again, it's, and I don't want to really get into it, um, that part of it. Um, Jimmy Gibson, the elder at our congregation, did a, a great teaching on the meal of Leviathan, I think last year. And I don't know that we've ever covered it in in much detail in classes. We just maybe mentioned it every here, a little bit here and there. But there is a Jewish tradition um, that at that time, like when the wicked are destroyed, there will be something called the meal of Leviathan. You might have heard it pronounced Leviathan. But Leviathan, remember, he's that great monster of the seas. And Leviathan is going to be destroyed. They say at the end of days. And when Leviathan is destroyed, then Israel, the righteous, will sit down and have a meal and they will be shaded by his skin. The skin of Leviathan will actually form a great sukkah for Israel at that time. So, where, you know, again, in the chronology, would this occur? Well, there's a noon, uh, the sun is, is at its apex. And it, it seems that what's happening here is a much different experience than the experience of those who are being consumed by these birds, these demons, these unclean spirits. Um, and so we want to be counted in here. <laughs> this, this is where we want to show up, right? This is the meal we want to be invited to. Uh, the one with Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. And we, we want to enjoy that meal with uh, the, the skin of Leviathan as the sukkah cover. Now, is that literal? I don't know. Again, a lot of stuff in Midrash, you're not supposed to take it as literal, but it's an illustrative story. And so this, this great monster that has terrified the nations, because remember, the seas represent the nations. He's terrified the nations, and then his influence will be cut off. But look at these. Look at these. There's another noon. There's another side to noon. We, we saw it there in Revelation that this is going to be a noontime where the flesh-eating birds are summoned. Where do we get that idea in Revelation? We go back to Deuteronomy 28, 29. It says, you will grope at noon as the blind man gropes in darkness. And you will not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. Okay. It goes right back to, again, the darkness of the hellbugs. They, they blind, 
they confuse, they cause anxiety. And the apparently the, the feeling that you get when you're under attack by these hellbugs is you are only oppressed and robbed continually. And it's like there's no salvation no matter where you turn. But there is there's a darkness there. First Kings 18:27. Remember this, the context of this is the contest basically between Elijah and the priests of Baal. And remember, the priests of Baal, they danced around and cut themselves up until noon. And Elijah's taunting them while they're doing all this, like, you know, uh, what does he say here? He mocked him and said, call out with a loud voice, for he's a god. Either he's occupied, uh, basically saying he might be sitting on the toilet, (laughs) gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. In other words, he's not a god. But we know what happens right after this. They give it their best shot up until noon. And then the fire comes down and Elijah puts them to the sword. They are destroyed at noon. Job 5.14, it says, by day they meet with darkness and grope at noon as in the night. In other words, it's high noon and you can't see a thing. You are spiritually blinded. Psalm 91.6, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. Jeremiah 6, 4, prepare war against her, arise and let us attack at noon. So this plague of boils, the burning, it's a noon attack. It's, it's broad daylight, but you are going to be confused and in the dark. Um, Jeremiah twenty sixteen. but let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting, like Babylon. And let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon. Amos 8, 9. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark and broad daylight. Now we're getting somewhere. You see how we've built these layers of understanding about the birds and the sun and the midheaven? Whatever is happening in Revelation, when those flesh-eating creatures are summoned, he's describing it as high noon, but the, the sun is going to go dark. And we read that time after time in Revelation. That's That part of it we've read before. But now we have a different context, that this is actually part of the plague of boils. Final one here, Zephaniah 2.4, for Gaza will be abandoned and Eshkelon a desolation. Ashdod will be driven out at noon and Ekron will be uprooted. And these are areas on the border between Israel and Egypt, by the way, right? So it looks as though the outer edges, it's, it's going to be laid desolate at that time. Now, again, this, the plague of boils are burning. And we know this is part of her being Babylon being burned with fire, skin diseases. Revelation 16, 2 says the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. Remember, human beings are not designed to function on, I think, I feel, I want They are designed to function upon the father thinks, the father feels, the father wants, and it's my job to conform to that image. For those who refuse to repent and take on the mind of Messiah, 
it, it will result in loathsome and malignant source. And I don't think we can say that this is purely in the natural realm. We have to quit looking for things purely in the natural realm as validation. Leprosy in the Torah was a supernatural disease. The bugs coming out of hell are supernatural bugs. Possibly the birds, the flesh-eating birds, are supernatural creatures from another realm. And they're being forced to do the will of the Holy One because we know what happens. When they leave their realm, there's havoc. When they leave their realm, it kills us. If if we take it in, it kills us. Revelation 16.8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun and it was given it to scorch men with fire. You see how the the fire judgment is associated with the sun. And then Revelation 16, 11, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Right? This tells you who these people are. These are the unrepentant. These are the totally wicked. There's, There's not an ounce of repentance in them. The more he ramps up the heat, the more he stokes up the heat on them in terms of plagues, the more they blaspheme. And this was one of the causes of biblical leprosy or tzorat, is it could come from a burn. And that burn was often associated with Lashon Hara, or or tzorat was associated with Lashon Hara, which we know is evil speech. Just like Yeshua said in Matthew 15, 11, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Remember, there's the prison of the unclean things. And these unclean people, what's coming out of their mouth is blasphemy. They're not repenting. It's just blasphemy. It's just more wickedness. And they're being defiled. And now they're they're with their like kind, like mind, like kind. They're with every demonic, unclean thing. And they're imprisoned in that place. And here's where we see the, the heat of the boil and why it would be associated, I guess, with the sun, the, the source of natural heat. Leviticus 13, 18, it says, when the body has a boil on its skin, or if the body sustains in its skin a burn by fire, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a bright spot, reddish white or white, and then the priest shall look at it. Remember, the color of the beast is red. And if the hair in the bright spot has turned white, and it appears to be deeper than the skin, this is leprosy. It's sarat. It has broken out in the burn. Therefore, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infection of leprosy. So the burn, the boil, the fire, it's under the skin. It's inside. It's what's coming from inside and going out. It's making him unclean. And if ever there has been a generation of unclean speech, it's ours because we have just so many avenues to get it out there. And so Isaiah 30, 27, it says, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from a remote place. Burning is his anger and dense is his smoke. His lips are filled with indignation and his tongue is like consuming fire. What is he doing? They want to run their nasty tongues. He will consume them with the fire of the Spirit. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. 
You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook and our YouTube channel.